Welcome back to The Bible is Art, where we explore the literary artistry of the Bible. And in this week, we're looking at the literary art of the seven signs in John's Gospel. Jesus did a lot of miracles. And you can read all about them in the Gospels, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You probably remember that famous phrase at the end of John's Gospel where he said, you know, if I wrote down everything that he did, the world itself could not contain the book. So it's interesting that when we get to John's Gospel, he records only seven. Now, it's not exactly seven, but I'll show you what I mean in a second. Because what John does is he not only records these seven, but he calls them something different as well. You see, the main word that the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, used for the things that Jesus does is dunamis, or mighty deeds, um, mighty actions, these, these, these powerful things that Jesus is doing. But John decides to call them signs. And he does that because he wants to make it clear to the readers that what Jesus is doing is more than just showing that he has this supernatural power, but that it has symbolic significance. That is, Jesus has carefully selected the things that he's doing because they reveal something deep about his identity and what his kingdom is like. Now, I was reading a book called Divine Symmetries by an author named Victor Wilson, and he pointed out something extraordinary about how these signs are organized. Let me show you this. The seven signs are organized in a chiasm. And if that phrase is new to you, you can watch a video here, it's up in the card, or it's linked in the description, but essentially what it is is where the first section or episode or scene will correspond, will connect to the last one in some way and the second scene to the second to last one, and so on and so forth, until you get to a central scene. And what that does is that that central scene might be a turning point, or it might be emphasis, or it might reveal something central about the whole narrative sequence. It's kind of different in every story. And we'll see what it does here. But let me show you how this is organized. So. The first and the last sign, the, the, the transformation of the water into wine and Jesus' resurrection, are both transformations. Transformation of water into wine and death into life. And interestingly, our narrator has told us that these both occur on the third day. When you move one in and you have the official son, he's sick, and uh, Jesus heals him, and then you have the raising up of Lazarus after he dies. And both of these are resurrections, or kinds of resurrections. You see, neither of these are actually resurrections. Why? Well, Lazarus, you might think, well, that's clearly a resurrection, but he's going to die again, right? This is a resuscitation, but it's an image of resurrection. And similarly with the, the official son, it's interesting the way our narrator John describes it. He says that he was at the point of death. That is to say, he wants us to think about this in the same space as death, as, as sort of a symbolic death. 
Well, you move one in and you get two healings, the healing of a lame man and a blind man, and both of these occur around pools. And then in the central section, you have the feeding of the 5,000, a sacramental meal. Well, why do I call it a sacramental meal? Well, that's because Jesus does this thing. He multiplies these loaves and feeds these 5,000 people, but then he has a discussion. He gives a talk about it to explain this thing. You see, in John, Jesus is, is constantly doing or talking about normal, mundane things, but telling us that they have deeper symbolic significance and explaining that, and that's true here. So what's going on? What, why does he put this at the center? Well, to understand that, we got to look back at the beginning of the gospel and see how he connects this. In this talk that Jesus gives, this is where those famous phrases occur where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he'll say, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has life. So you see, it, it's, this, it's this great feast where we get to feast on God himself that's placed at the center of this gospel. Now, why is that? Well, this will unfold something that's central to what Jesus is on about in this gospel. You see, in the gospel of John, when it opens up, one of the disciples, after they're following Jesus, right after they start following Jesus, will say, uh, Teacher, where do you abide? Where do you live? Where are you staying? And we might think that that's just sort of like a mundane question about the logistics. I'm following this new teacher now and I have to learn, I have to know where he's staying. But in John, there's nothing mundane because everything is symbolic and has very deep and profound meaning. And what this is, is that this is a summons to the reader to keep on reading. That is, you want to see where I abide? Jesus will say, come and see. That is, you want to see? You have to keep reading and you will discover where I abide. And the signs will show us many facets of these, but at the central sign, what we learn is that the place that Jesus abides is in you. That is, anyone who believes, who drinks his blood, who eats his flesh, will have the very life of God in him, abiding in him. But there's more. Because in the beginning of the Bible, we got a sin of eating. And so it's not surprising that when we get the final resolution to the story, that it's also connected to eating. Remember, we ate and we were kicked out of the garden. And so when Jesus redeems us, brings us back into the garden, and we get to go back to that tree and eat, that tree has been transformed because what we now feed on is the very life of the God-man himself. 
This is why it's not surprising that in uh, later in the gospel, Jesus will say, I am the vine and you are the branches. This is alluding back to that Genesis 3 text where Jesus is this tree, the one on whom we are grafted in and whom we feast. And this is why in our worship, it's not just about a philosophy that Jesus brings, but he brings us a feast where we believe we eat his flesh, we drink his blood, and we get God's life. And John has, has placed this at the center of the gospel because this is central to what Jesus is on about, is that he lives, dies, resurrects, and we get to feast on him, have his life abide in us. And my friends, once again, you can see why the Bible and the gospel of John is literary art. Thanks so much. Hey guys, thanks so much for uh, checking out the video this week. I really, uh, really enjoyed making it and I was fascinated by this about John's Gospel when I first learned it. Feel free to check out that book uh, by Victor Wilson. It's, it's chock full of just amazing insights. Um, and I, I put the link down there. And uh, if you have any questions, leave them for me um, and I'll see you next week.